If you brought a Bible, let's go to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 12. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. That song's in my spirit this morning. It is well with my soul. It is well because God is in control. Praise God. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 23. Has God been speaking to you out of the book of Exodus? He's been speaking to us about liberty, about freedom. And the last few weeks, I know he's been speaking to many hearts. And this morning will be no exception. Exodus chapter 12, verse 23. For the Lord will pass through this and smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the, do, the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come in to your house to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and for your children forever. And when you enter the land which the Lord your God will give you, as he has promised, you shall observe this rite. And when your children say to you, what does this rite mean to you? You shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. You passed over because of the house over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but he spared our homes, and the people bowed low and worshipped. This morning, as we receive the Lord's table, we receive the elements which God gave to Moses these thousands of years ago in the Passover meal. And as the angel of the Lord passed through Egypt, I believe they were singing in the house, It is well with my soul. Isn't God good? Their story is my story this morning. Their story is your story this morning. Praise God for the sacrifice of his son. Father, we thank you this morning for the blood of Jesus, which takes away sin. We thank you for the provision of a sacrifice. We pray this morning as we come to your word that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God, that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to speak to you this morning from this chapter 12 of Exodus, because as we've been talking about freedom, we come to terms with the fact that there is a price for freedom. Freedom is not free. As we look through this story, this account of the deliverance of the children of Israel, a nation of about two million slaves, delivered out of Egyptian bondage and brought into freedom by the powerful hand of God. We note that there is a sacrifice that had to be made in order to deliver them out of this bondage. And I want to share with you about that sacrifice and about that blood this morning. Because the story of the Exodus is your story. It is your story, first of all, because all of us were born into sin. All of us were born as slaves to sin. And so we need a redeemer. Someone to buy us back from the slavehold of sin. The book of Exodus is your story and my story. Because our freedom, the freedom we enjoy and, and experience in Christ, 
was purchased through the blood of the Lamb of God. The blood of the Lamb that was shed uh, in, in, in Egypt these thousands of years ago was a picture in the Old Testament of the blood of Christ that would be shed for our redemption on the cross. And so as we study the book of Exodus, I pray that you will study it with interest because you're really, you're really reading about your own history, not only the history of the, the faith that you and I believe and, and trust in, but it is the history of our own deliverance out of the powers of hell into the freedom that God has provided for us. Now, as we study the book of Exodus, we also discover certain principles, certain truths that make this freedom possible. And what I want you to see, first of all, this morning, is that although Exodus and the deliverance of the people of Israel was a physical reality, it had a spiritual, undertake, uh, a spiritual undertone. There was a spiritual reality that over, uh, overarched the story of the Exodus. You see, you and I, we live in a material world. We live in a natural world. The Bible said that we walk in the flesh. That means that you and I live in flesh and bone bodies. We have uh, natural vision, natural hearing, natural abilities or senses. And we engage with the natural world in the way that you and I exist in this life. But there is a world that is parallel to the natural world. In fact, there is a world that is above the natural world, and that is the spiritual world. And that spiritual world is just as real as the natural world. In fact, it is probably more real than the natural world. Because as it is in the spiritual, so it is in the natural. If you and I are seeing problems in the natural, we must uh, discern what's going on in the spiritual. You see, uh, we are created by God. The Bible said that God is a spirit. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so you see, victory in this life comes first through victory in your spiritual life. The Bible said that although we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the, the flesh. Or we do not war in the flesh. Because the weapons of our warfare are mighty to, through God to the tearing down of strongholds. And so we realize that there is a reality in the spiritual realm. And this reality has um, within it the ability for you and I as believers to communicate with God, to have God hear and answer our prayers, and to experience deliverance by the power of God. So when we see rebellion in our nation, we must assume there's rebellion first in the spiritual world before there is rebellion in the natural world. And if you see blessing on someone's life, you should assume that first there's blessing in their spirit before there's blessing in the natural. So can I just tell you this morning, learn to walk by the spirit. Learn to walk with the Holy Spirit because sooner or later, your natural life is going to line up with your spiritual life. Sooner or later, the things that you believe and the things that you trust in, in your spiritual life, are going to manifest themselves in your natural life. They're going to manifest themselves in your existence here on the earth. Can I just remind you that the Bible says that soon this earth will be folded up like a tent and put away. The natural world will come to its end, but the spiritual world will live on forever. You realize that you are a spirit? You have a spirit inside of you. 
that person is going to live forever. Someday your body is going to stop living, but your spirit is going to live on forever somewhere. Either you're going to live on forever in the presence of God, or you're going to live on forever separated from God in the place the Bible calls hell. But either way, we're going to live forever. And so what we do today, what we do in the natural, has a long time implications. The, the decisions that you make are going to be a bearing fruit into eternity. And so I want to challenge you this morning with this, to give your life to Christ. To have your spirit born again by the power of God so that you can experience life in the spirit. Say amen, somebody. So that you can have that vital relationship with God. And, and that the relationship that you have with God will affect and impact your spiritual life. Now, Israel is in Egyptian bondage. They're behind a man called Pharaoh. Pharaoh has authority over them. He has power over them. And so in the natural, Pharaoh is in control. But the problem was that Pharaoh was also controlled in the spiritual. You see, Pharaoh was not only a man, but according to the Egyptians, he was also a god. Now we know there's only one god. Say amen, somebody. So Pharaoh was not actually a god, but behind Pharaoh was an evil spirit that had come to bind and to hold captive God's people. What I want you to realize this morning is that that evil spirit had control over the power, or had power over the nation of Israel. It had power over God's people. Even though they were blessed, even though they were chosen by God, there was a spiritual reality that was governing in their lives. This existed until something happened. The people began to pray. They began to call out to God. They began to beseech the God of heaven. You see, what they did was they rose out of the natural and started doing warfare in the spiritual. They started to engage the spiritual reality of their life. You see, and while they began to pray, something began to fall apart in the spiritual. Before Pharaoh ever let them go in the natural, he had to let them go in the spiritual. And that only happened because they began to pray. When they began to pray, something began to happen. And I want to mention briefly three things that happened when Israel began to pray. You see, you and I have been given a powerful spiritual weapon called the weapon of prayer. Now, when you and I look at prayer, it doesn't look very strong. It doesn't look very mighty. You see, we look at prayer, we see somebody with their hands folded, with their head bowed, speaking to God, a God whom they cannot see, a God who they cannot necessarily hear with their natural ear, and we think, okay, well, that's, that's just good thoughts, right? Now, I hear all the time from, from Hollywood, that's just positive energy or good vibes, okay? Not, just get all of that junk out of your mind, all right? This isn't what we're talking about. When we, when we pray, we're actually engaging in warfare in the spirit. We are actually entering into the spiritual realm to take authority over things that have been going on in the spiritual realm. You see, Pharaoh was a man. 
But behind Pharaoh was an evil spirit. And that evil spirit was going to be in control until God's people started to pray. When God's people began to pray, they began to upset the powers that were going on in the spirit. Because the Bible said that our weapons, pardon, that our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Your problem is not your husband, it's not your wife, it's not your your uh, children, it's not your teacher, it's not your professor, it's not your boss. Your problem is not your pastor. Your problem is in the spiritual realm. And until you deal with the spiritual realm, you're going to have problems in the natural realm. But when you start to pray in the spirit as a child of God, you take authority over spiritual things. You start to take authority on a level that now you're able to fight with weapons, the Bible says, are mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. You see, some of you have a rebellious teenager. You're not fighting that teenager. You're fighting the spirit of rebellion that's come into that heart, that's come into that life. Some of you have some people who are trying to keep you uh, from getting a promotion at work. You're not fighting them. You're fighting the spirit that's behind them trying to keep you from accomplishing the purpose of God in your life. Now, I know I've gone real deep, real quick this morning, and some of you are struggling to just keep up. You just stick with me, all right? Because I want you to understand some very important realities this morning, that those people are not your problem. What is the problem is the spirit that's behind them. And the only way to deal with this Pharaoh in your life is not to go and yell at Pharaoh. You don't get up and just go and start cussing Pharaoh. You've got to get into prayer. You've got to get in the spirit and start making war in the heavenlies. Making war in the spirit because that's where the power is. So here's the first thing that happens when you begin to pray is that God moves people in your life. Sometimes what is standing in front of you is a person. And as I've mentioned, there's a spirit behind that person. And, you know, sometimes when I uh, think about this, I realize that there, there are people sometimes have no reason to dislike me. I don't know why anybody would dislike me. But they do. Just, they, just, they just look at me and have a dislike. And I just decided, you know what, of course you dislike me. Because I have the Spirit of God on the inside of me. There's a blazing, glowing fire on the inside of my life because I'm a child of God. Come on, somebody. Of course you don't like me, devil. I'm a child of God. And you and I, if we get caught up trying to fight Pharaoh in the natural, we're going to lose. Because our weapons are not natural. Our weapons are spiritual. Now, I want you to imagine the whole arsenal of the United States Army. Missiles and jets and uh, tanks and bazookas, everything you can imagine. And then imagine those are our spiritual weapons. And then in the natural, we come up against the enemy with a little squirt gun. And you're trying to fight a fight with a squirt gun that God has equipped you in the spirit to fight by the power of the spirit. And so as long as you're trying to handle the natural, with the natural, you are, you are operating on a level that is below the power that God has given to you as a child of God. 
And so you and I have to begin to pray in the power of the Spirit. When we pray in the Spirit, the Bible said the Spirit knows the mind of God. The Holy Spirit knows what God wants to do. And when you and I begin to pray in the Spirit, we begin to pray in such a way that we are effective because we have come into agreement with God. Now, I'll tell you a story. This has happened a few times, but uh, I'm not going to mention where or who to protect the the guilty, all right? But, you know, in, a, in our public schools, we're not allowed to mention God. We're not allowed to have Bibles. You know how, how America has put God out of school, and you see what's happening. We've taken away the spiritual. Guess what's happening in the natural? You have chaos in the spiritual. You have chaos in the natural. Is this making sense? So one of our, one of our uh, uh, church, uh, one of our parishioners here, she said, Pastor, you know, I was working in the school, and there was a young, a, a young boy who was, who was manifesting, and I, I knew because I was spirit-filled that this was demonic. He was manifesting in the cafeteria. She, she said, I couldn't lay hands on him. I wanted to lay hands on him, but I couldn't lay hands on him. So she just said, she went up to him, and she said, in the name of Jesus, I come against you, devil. You leave this little boy alone. And the little boy received peace right there in the middle of the cafeteria. Come on, I'm talking about Beeville, Texas. I'm talking about the schools where your children go. Come on, there are spirits that want to get into the lives of your children. And, and if you take authority in the name of Jesus, you can be whispering. It doesn't matter. The devil's not deaf. When he hears the name of Jesus, he knows, hands off, I got to go. I can't stay here. You've got to realize that's the authority God has to move people. Pharaoh said, no, no, no. No, 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 no. Nine times he said no. But the people were praying. So in the natural, he's saying no, but God's got him, in the, and he's twisting his arm. And on the night of the Passover, God moved in such a way on Pharaoh that the man who said no woke up the next morning and said yes, 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 get out of here. Take your people. He said, take your flocks, take your children, get out of here. You're going to kill all of us. You see, God can move the people that need to be moved in your life if you will pray. I said, if you will pray. The Bible says, Jesus said, when you pray. He didn't say if you pray. He said, when you pray. Is there a praying church in here this morning? You see, when you begin to pray, God can move the people that need to be moved in your life. So I want you to just think about it. Who is it right now that's making a decision about your life? Somebody's making a decision about your job. Somebody's making a decision about how much you're going to get paid. Somebody's making a decision about whether or not you're going to get that loan. Somebody's making a decision about whether or not you're going to get into that college. And there you are, sitting in your living room, wringing your hands, saying, I hope they like me. I hope they really get in, on board with who I am. I hope I wrote a good letter. I, I hope they got some good references. No, friend, what you need to do is be on your knees. Say, Lord, speak to them. Let them know who I am. Give me favor. Come on, somebody. And when God gets behind them, that, that doesn't matter. They say no. When God says yes, nobody can keep you out because you are a child of God. Now, the second thing that happens when Israel begins to pray is that not only does God move men, but God moves angels. You know that angels are God's messengers. They are spiritual, a spiritual army 
that God has enabled and empowered to serve and minister to the body of Christ. Now, the reality is this, that when you start to pray and you and I get into agreement, there's power in our agreements. When you and I begin to pray, the Bible says where two or three gather together to pray that the Lord is there. That's a prayer meeting when God shows up. Till God shows up, you're just talking. You got to have God show up. And when God shows up, things happen. But you realize that even when all of us are praying, we're still not alone. Because there is another army that is beside us that is working toward God's purpose in our life. And that is an army of angelic hosts that God has sent into the world to minister to the body of Christ. And they were at work in the Exodus and they are at work today. Listen, friends, the Bible says that the apostle Peter was in jail. He was in the back of the jail. I mean, he was so far back that they would have forgotten he was there. The Bible said the next day Herod had plans to kill him. He, his number was up. His time had been expired. He was behind several squadrons of soldiers. And be beside him, there was a Roman soldier on the right and a Roman soldier on the left. This guy wasn't going anywhere except to the chopping block. But while this is going on in the natural, while the case is lost in the natural, the Bible said that the church was praying. What was the church doing? They were praying, and they were praying that God would deliver the apostle Peter. They were saying, Lord, we sure do need our pastor, and we don't want to let him go right now. We want him to be delivered. And while they were praying, the Bible said that an angel came out of heaven and came into that jail cell, and, uh, and Peter was asleep. And he woke Peter up and he said, wake up, Peter. So Peter woke up and the angel uh, brought him out of that jail. The chains fell off of Peter and they went through the first set of doors and the next set of doors. And then they came to an iron gate. Again, the natural. Have you ever come to a place where God was moving and then you just came up against an iron door and the natural said, this time I've got you. But guess what? The Bible said that the door just opened by itself and Peter came out of the prison with that angel. Now here's what I want you to see. That the church was praying. If the church had not been praying, Peter may not have made it out of jail that night. Peter may not have survived to see the next day. But because the church was praying, they went into the spiritual realm. And while they were praying in the spiritual realm, the Spirit of God released the angelic host to come and to defend his servant. Here's what someone has said. It's very true. He said it was the angel that brought Peter out of prison. But it was the church that brought the angel out of heaven. It was prayer that moved God to send angels on behalf of his people. You say, Pastor, do you believe angels are still at work today? Absolutely, I do. The Bible said that the angel of the Lord camps round about those who fear God and he defends them. Come on, somebody. You are not alone. God has sent the host of heaven to defend you, to protect you, to stand by those who fear God. And then there's this third thing that happens when we pray. And that is that God moves men, God moves angels. But then there's also this fact, God moves. Now you heard me read in verse 23 of Exodus 12 that the scripture says, And the Lord will pass through Egypt. 
You see, when I, when I shared this with you a few weeks ago, I explained to you that in chapter 3, when Moses saw God in the burning bush, the Lord said to him, he said, Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cry, and I have come down to deliver them. God said, I have personally come down. You see, friends, prayer can move men. Prayer can move angels. But the greatest fact of prayer is that prayer can move God. If you and I will begin to pray and we will enter into this spiritual war that we are engaged in, you and I will find that God himself will move on behalf of his church. He will move on behalf of his people. And he will come to our aid. You see, when I read the Bible, in the book of Revelation, it talks about how God is going to deal with the devil in the end. He's going to take Satan, uh, and he's going to send an angel to take Satan, bind him with a chain, and cast him into the lake of fire. But you see, when he deals with Satan, he deals with, he sends an angel to deal with the devil. But when he comes for you and me, he doesn't send an angel. He will come personally to rapture the church. He will come personally to resurrect the saints. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that God likes to take care of his children's business his own way by himself. He doesn't send anybody else. He comes personally, and he comes into Egypt personally to deliver the children of Israel. Now, I, I'm watching you sit there, and you're thinking, well, you know, that's real nice. But I want you to get excited about this because God is on your side. God has said, I have come down to deliver you. I have come down to help you. I have personally made this arrangement. The Bible said that the Lord himself passed through Egypt that night. Now here is what's happened. On the physical realm, in the natural, there is an instruction given by God to Moses. He says, tell the people that they're going to take a lamb into their house. And they're going to take this lamb into their house for 14 days. Now let me ask you a question. What happens if you take a lamb, a baby lamb, into your house for two weeks? Your children are going to fall in love with the lamb. They're going to get attached to the lamb. And then God says at the end of the 14 days, your family is going to slaughter the lamb. And you're going to take the blood of that lamb and you're going to place it on the doorpost of your house. Now this happened 4,000 years ago, so you don't have to worry about that today. Amen, somebody. Why? Because you see, the lamb represents Christ. Jesus is that innocent lamb that God was foreshadowing. In the instruction that he gave to Moses, he says you're going to take a lamb per house. Now, if you study the Bible, you'll realize that in the book of Genesis, it was a lamb per man. In the book of Exodus, then we see that it is a lamb per household. But then in Leviticus, it's a lamb for the nation. But when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's not just a lamb for a man or a lamb for a family or a lamb for a nation, but it's a lamb for the whole world. Come on, somebody. It's a lamb for you. 
and for me, for the Gentile nations as well as the Jewish people. But you see, God wants you to fall in love with the Lamb. He wants you to have an affection for the Lamb. He wants you to be attached to Jesus. You see, friends, they came and they brought that lamb into their home because this was going to cost them something. To sacrifice this lamb would be a tremendous sacrifice to their hearts. Do you know that giving us Jesus cost God everything? He didn't just send an angel, friend. He sent his son. He came to deliver you and me by sending us his very own son whose blood would be shed today. He says, I want you to know my son. Because when you get to know my son, you're going to fall in love with him. He is this greatest friend that you will ever know. Jesus is the counselor and the comforter of the broken. He is the healer of those who are sick. He is the friend to those who are friendless. He is a father to the fatherless. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. Oh, when you get to know Jesus, you'll fall in love with Jesus. Is there anybody in here this morning? that's in love with Jesus. We used to sing in the old church, oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Then they were to take the blood of that lamb and they were to apply it to the door of their house. Now God said, tonight I'm going to come through Egypt and I'm going to bring the destroyer with me. Now, in the cartoons, you know, the destroyer always has a big hood, black hood, and a grim reaper stick. I don't know what it's called. And he, he kind of walks through the shadows and darkness. I don't believe that's what it looks like at all. Don't worry about any of that. But I want you to realize that God has angels who can carry out his word. In fact, in one, in one place in the Bible, you read about one angel that killed 125,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. One angel. God said, I'm going to come through Egypt. And I'm going to send a destroyer through Egypt. And every house that's not covered in blood, every house where there's not blood on the door, they're going to lose the firstborn of their house. That meant if, if grandpa was the firstborn, he would die. If dad was the firstborn, he would die. If Johnny was the firstborn, he would die. That meant the firstborn among the sheep, and the firstborn among the goats, the firstborn among the cattle, every firstborn is going to die. And God says, but if I come by your house, and there's blood on the door. I will tell the destroyer, not here. I will pass over you. You realize, friends, that God is saying to you today, there is a destroyer in this world. There is a devil in this world. There is sin in this world. And sin is going to destroy not just the firstborn, but sin will destroy everything it touches. And so God is asking you this morning to apply the blood of his son Jesus to your heart by faith. To receive the cleansing of Jesus' blood in your life by faith. And friend, if you will come to Jesus 
and let the Lamb of God wash away your sin. When, when the destroyer comes into your life, God will say, not here. You can't touch this one. This one belongs to me. This one is a part of my, of my household. He is saved by grace. He's been forgiven. He's been washed, cleansed, and cleansed by the blood. We sang it this morning. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. All of my sin, all of your sin can be cleansed and washed away by the precious blood of Jesus. And Jesus can make you a new man and a new woman if you'll give him your heart by faith. God said to Moses, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Because the blood will be a sign to me. Listen to what Exodus 12 says. It says the blood will be a sign to the Lord. And here's what he said. It's going to be a testimony. It's going to be a witness to me. What does that mean, preacher? Well, when you study the Bible, you realize that blood speaks. The Bible said that when Cain killed Abel, his blood cried out to God. What did it cry out for? It cried out for vengeance. Cried out for justice. Now you say, Pastor, I have I've shed blood before and it didn't say anything. Well, you see, friends, in the natural, that's true, but in the spiritual, every life that's that's taken cries out to God. That's why America is in the trouble it's in right now, because we are taking the lives of innocent babies through our political processes. There's blood on on America's hands. It's crying out to God. Cain killed Abel, and Abel's blood cried out to God. But when I read the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says that the blood of Jesus has a better cry than the blood of Abel. Because the blood of Abel cried out for justice. It cried out for mercy. But the blood, oh pardon me, it cried out for judgment. But the blood of Jesus cries out for mercy. It cries out for grace. And that's what the blood of the door, on the doorplace of the, of the uh, Israelites in Egypt was. It was a sign. And that blood was crying out for mercy. It was crying out for grace. And as the Lord came through Egypt, when he saw the blood, he heard the cry of that blood. And he heard it. And he answered it with mercy. Can I tell you, friend, the only way to receive freedom from the judgment and the wrath of God is through the blood of Jesus, his son, who, whose blood alone can give you access to the mercies of God. You see, when you and I begin to pray, we enter into that spiritual realm and we enter in with the power and the authority of the blood of Jesus. You know how powerful the blood of Jesus is? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 26, that the blood is propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? It means that when, when God sees the blood of Jesus applied to your life by faith, he's satisfied that all of the payment has been made. That there's nothing left for you to offer up of yourself. And then we read in 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 that the Bible says that we have cleansing through the blood of the cross. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, we read that we have justification through the blood 
of Jesus. What does that mean, preacher? That means that when you are covered by the blood of Jesus, when you've been washed by the blood of Jesus, God no longer sees your sin, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees the perfection of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6, we read that there is communion with God through the blood of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 28, we read that we have a new covenant with God through the blood of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 verse, uh, th th verse 13, we read that we have been brought near to God through the blood of Jesus. We were once far away. But now we have been brought near to God through the blood of Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 through 20, we read that we have peace with God through the blood of Jesus. God is no longer at war with man. God has made terms of peace with man through the blood of Jesus. In he Hebrews chapter 10, pardon, chapter 9 and verse 22, we read that we have received the remission or the forgiveness of our sins through the blood of Jesus. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 22, we read that we have access to God through prayer, through the blood of Jesus. You see, when we pray, those kinds of prayers that move men, when we pray, those kinds of prayers that move angels, when we pray, those kinds of prayers that move God, we don't have power in ourselves to pray. It's the blood of Jesus that has given us authority to enter in with confidence into the throne room of the living God. Somebody shout amen this morning. It is the blood of Jesus that has given us confident access into the presence of God. You see, friends, when you and I pray today, we have access to God's presence himself. Now listen, we, we take this for granted. And you know how I know we take it for granted? Because I see it on your face. You've got a take-for-granted face right now. What do you mean, preacher? I'm talking about prayer. And we're like, yes, another sermon on prayer. You realize that you can't pray. You can't pray without the blood of Jesus. You and I can't get to God's ear without the blood of Jesus. The Bible tells us that Abraham and Moses and, and Joshua and all of the patriarchs of old, they, they had occasional moments of communion with God. And when God established the temple and the tabernacle, the Bible tells us that the priest, the high priest, could only go into the presence of God once a year. Once a year. He could go into the presence of God beyond the veil into the Holy of Holies only once a year and not without blood. Anyone that tried to enter into the Holy of Holies without blood was, would die on the spot. But do you realize that when Jesus died on the cross, his blood opened the door for you and I to come boldly into the throne of grace. Not once a year. Not once a month. Or once a week. But every single day. You and I can enter into the Holy of Holies 
Because of the blood of Jesus. Because of the sinless sacrifice of Jesus, you and I can come in with confidence into the throne of God. And now we have spiritual power. Because the blood of Jesus is not a natural thing. The blood of Jesus is a spiritual reality. It is a reality, friends. This is how powerful the blood of Jesus was. That when Jesus died on the cross, his blood covered sin all the way back to Adam. His blood covered sin all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And you know what else it did? His blood covered sin all the way to the end of time. That's why we sing, oh, the blood of Jesus. Because the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do that. The blood of the lamb on the door of the Hebrews couldn't do that. It was only a type. It was only a shadow of he who was to come. Whose blood would give us access to answered prayer. Whose blood would give us power to hear and to be heard by God. And this morning... You and I have access through the blood of Jesus. The Bible says we have access to the blood of Jesus through a new and living way. You don't have to come through a sacrificial system. Jesus is the sacrificial system. You don't have to come through the law of Moses. Jesus has fulfilled the law of Moses. You just have to come through Christ. His blood was shed for your sins. So that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin anymore. But he sees the perfect righteousness of his son. And he tells the destroyer, you can't stop here. Death has already been here. The price has already been paid. Mercy has already been applied. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to invite you this morning to enter into spiritual warfare. Some of you have a desperate need in your life. And you're looking at it in the natural. You're looking at it in your five senses. But this morning I want you to get into the spirit. And ask the Holy Spirit to show you exactly how to pray. To move whatever obstacle it is that is standing before you and the purpose of God over your life. So I want to open this altar to every single person in here that says, Pastor, there's a need in my life, and only prayer can move it. If that's you, come under this altar with faith. Come on, get in this altar. We're going to believe God together. We're going to stand in the authority of the blood of Jesus. We're going to come not to Pharaoh, but we're going to get, come against powers and principalities that are standing against the purpose of God in your life. And we're going to take authority through the blood of Jesus. Come on, right where you are, just begin to pray. Get into the Spirit. Look at this problem in the Spirit. Activate your faith. Activate your faith, Kingsway. Pharaoh might say yes, might say no. But God has the final word. God has the final word. Father, in the name of Jesus.
I stand with your people this morning as we come to the throne of the living God. We are entering in this morning, not in the name of Kingsway Church and not in the name of Pastor Isaac, but we're standing this morning in the precious name of Jesus. We stand on the authority of the name of Jesus. And I take my, my authority as a servant of God and as a child of God. And I declare that every Pharaoh that is standing in front of your people will be moved in Jesus' name. I declare that every power of darkness that has assailed their hearts with fear, that has contaminated their mind with unbelief, I come against it now in Jesus' name. I declare that they are free. I declare that they are blessed. I declare that they are healed. I declare that they are whole in the name of Jesus. I take authority over cancers. I take authority over diabetes. I take authority over every form of infirmity in the name of Jesus. I come against poverty. I come against every power of division in homes and in marriages. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you right now. Loose God's people. Loose God's people. They are free because of the stripes of Jesus. They are free because of the blood of Jesus.